Hey, welcome back to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Ben Pekulski. As always, we frame this podcast around living your greatest life in a body that you absolutely love. Today, we're going to dive into blood work, urine, stool analysis with our great friend and advisor, Dan Garner. Dan is an absolutely brilliant guy, as you will soon hear and see. Ultimately, if you're on YouTube, Dan has so much wealth of information and so much experience in this realm of optimization of nutrition through objective lab work. So oftentimes nutrition is subjective. I should eat this, maybe I should eat that, maybe I should take this supplement, maybe that one. Dan gets into the objective data daily for probably the last 10 years. He's so up to date and he's gonna give you some really, really deep insights into how to optimize your blood, your urine, your stool analysis, and ultimately how to access the highest level of information in the world to optimize your body from the inside out. Today's podcast is brought to you by Bubs Naturals, a longtime sponsor of the podcast. You know, Bubs has been with us for almost five years now. And the reason they stay with us and the reason we stay with them is because we believe in the product and the listeners of this podcast support them religiously. Bubs is known for having the best collagen, the best MCT, and ultimately now they're adding a new complete range of products that you guys are going to love, just ultimately to help us access high-level products. The other thing I love about Bubs is that they're doing it with integrity. They're giving back with 10% of profits going to charity, specifically supporting the namesake of the company, Bubs Charity, which is giving back to um, military veterans and their families, which I absolutely love, support people who have given their lives or given a lot of their lives for the country and freedom. So Thank you to bobsnaturals.com. You guys can access 25% off, which is more than ever. Normally it's 20. They're going to give you 25% off for this month only at muscleintelligence.com slash bobsnaturals. Muscleintelligence.com slash bubs, B-U-B-S, naturals with an S. Ladies and gents, do not neglect this amazing opportunity. Bubs has the highest quality collagen that exists that if you're someone who's concerned about improving the complexion of your skin, the collagen elasticity, your fingers, fingernails, your hair, your skin, all of these amazing things, your joints, your blood sugar regulation, these are all the benefits of some collagen every day. Usually for myself, it's on the order of 30 to 40 grams. It's been suggested about 5 to 10% of your total protein intake should be coming from collagen to balance out the ratios of amino acids. And that's what I do with myself and all of my one-to-one clients. Well, guys, thank you so much for being here. Thank you to Bubs. For always supporting our podcast and thank you to you ultimately for giving us your time and enjoy my chat with Dan Gart. Um, well, welcome. And uh, the thing that, that I think is interesting to start off with the audience is um, you just went through a body transformation, as I said, and uh, you mentioned as we were training that you intentionally set your life up to uh, be able to do that. So we have a lot of listeners who will say, I don't have the time in my life. I don't have the money. I don't have the whatever. I have some excuse. There is genetics. Yeah. I don't have the ability to do it. And you, you said, uh, I was intentional about increasing passive revenue so that I was financially able to do that. Yeah. So I'd love to start there and just talk off, like, what was your thought process? And like, as you, you said, you were, you know, your values are such that I'm, I'm building my business and growing my business to be able to create the freedom to be able to spend time with my daughter and spend time with my body. So look at that right there. For sure. So, I mean, that's a, that's a big question, right? And I think that when someone approaches health or fitness or any kind of big goal that they have, they try and incorporate it. They essentially try and essentially build fitness into their life rather than build fitness, you know, it, it, 
it's it's almost hard to say. Like a lot of people, you'll want to build your fitness into your life rather than build your life into your fitness. Like you, you have to find ways in which to incorporate your current business, your current schedule, the relationships that you have with people and find out a way that you can incorporate new ways to do meal prep, new ways to train efficiently, new ways to make sure that your sleep is optimized, all of these things into your existing schedule so that it's actually consistent. It's something you can be consistent with so that it's essentially, you know, I was motivated by a lot of things. I was motivated by the original, you know, the reality that I, I began this transformation back in January because I knew that I had a daughter coming and I wanted to set a good example there. There's, of course, a financial benefit that's obvious of looking good and being, you know, working with professional athletes and have being a, repre a better representation of my passion at a high level rather than just at a low level. And working your business to a point where you have more time to do these things. And of course, I'm lucky to be in that situation, work in the online world, choose my own schedule, that type of situation. But uh, yeah, that's essentially, you know. <laughs> yeah, one of the interesting things you said to me out there was, um, instead of trying to create a new you, let's, let's work on the old you. Yeah. I thought that was really great. Yeah. Like yeah. So um, that's a, a lot of people will say on Instagram or on Facebook or whatever, it's going to be new year, new me. Well, the old you is going to prop up. So let's focus on that guy first. And that's kind of like what I was in that rambling sentence of mine, trying to identify. It's, it's hard, a hard thing to kind of yeah. narrow down. But the old you has a lot of habits. And a lot of those habits are due to your current environment and schedule. And until you look at your own environment and look at your own schedule and incorporate that fitness into your existing schedule, there's going to be checks and balances. There's going to be costs and benefits. And if work is a number one priority or if certain things are a number one priority, if they're taking certain chunks of your schedule, just like you know, an engineer would look at a blueprint of a house and put things in the correct order in order to build the correct structure to get the best outcome, you're going to have to do that with your own schedule and your own environment. The motivators help back all of that up. But until that stuff is in place, it's going to be very hard for you to be successful. Yeah, that's so true. The first thing I do with anyone that signs up for my coaching, I say we're going to do a 16-hour audit. So you're sleeping for eight, I assume. You get 16 hours in the day. What are we doing every, every minute of the day? So we have them do an audit. Sometimes over as much as a week, so we can see how much uh, consistency, how much fluctuation, and ultimately where we have time to interject with 10 minute increments. So, my suggestion with everybody is you can build 10 minute um, exclamation points throughout the day, right? So, you're kind of you're plugging in these little fit moments. So, if I get 16 hours, okay, 10 minutes to start the day, 10 minutes after meal one, 10 minutes for lunch, you know, like so you get five different 10 minute increments. And before, before you know it, all of a sudden your, your lifestyle starts to change. Your energy starts to change, your recovery starts to change, your mindset starts to shift, your well-being starts to feel better. Just because these little kind of exclamation punctuations throughout the day, mm. it's really the way we start it. Because I mean, ultimately people are like, I'm trying to jam this big chunk of time in the middle of my day. So I'm like, I don't have time. Yeah. You have time for 10 minutes. So even if it's like start 10, with 10 minutes of walking or 10 minutes of breathing or meditation or whatever's like what I call the high impact habit, right? So you have these high impact habits that I can interject where if we put it here, 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 all of a sudden, boom, your life starts to shift. For yeah. some people, it's a 10 minute nap, right? Yeah. Like, okay, you're getting six hours of sleep or five hours of sleep. Let's put a 10 minute nap in there or we have a shorter nap. Mm. But like, that's the way I approach it. And because it's simple, um, it works, right? And some people are like, oh, that, you know, what about my training, what about my road fitness? I was like, listen, that matters. But this matters, for like, as you say, yeah. the biggest influence on your life is not the, 
the one hour a day necessarily, right? Because then you still, have, you know, if that's five hours a week, you still have 163 hours to screw it all up. Yeah. So if I can change just little bite-sized um, segments of every single day, it becomes part of who you are, right? It's who you're for being sure. rather than what you're doing. Yeah. And I think that's a big shift for people to start to think about. And a lot of times you can actually do that audit. So beginning with that audit is fantastic, but continuing with that audit awesome. can just be something as simple as watching the movie of your day. So if I'm if it's 9 p.m. and I'm gonna go to bed at 10, I can say, okay, cool. So I got up, but I actually got up at 7.30 today, which didn't give me enough time to make a proper breakfast. And because I didn't have enough time to make a proper breakfast, I had to grab something quick at Tim Hortons on the way to work. And then I didn't have the same kind of energy going into the workout that I was gonna do at lunch that I otherwise could have because my body wasn't fueled properly. I didn't really have that good of a workout during lunch. So that kind of got me down. I didn't feel as pumped. I didn't feel as energized. I didn't have the same kind of endorphins flowing through me so that kind of weighed on my motivation a little bit and since I didn't feel as good at the gym well that kind of you know I want to I want to get a craving in at dinner time and you can kind of kick off if you just spend 60 minutes or sorry 60 seconds rather to look at the movie of your day you can typically find a pivotal point oh okay well I got up at 7 30 and it screwed everything up if I just get up at 7 15 and kick that morning off then my entire day is going to operate a lot more efficiently. Totally, man. And, and the way I look at that is um, when I reflect on my day, which I do every day, most most successful people do, is yeah. looking at how did I show up in those in those big punctuated aspects of my day. So like it's like how did I show up in in work in my business, how did I show up in my family, how did I show up in my, for my body for myself. And so okay, my focus is always, I always think about like. Um, curating the lens through which you see the world, right? So we all look at the world through a lens. And yeah. so I want that lens to be a lens of positivity, gratitude, and growth. So I'm going to look through my day. I'm going to go, okay, this particular thing, even though it didn't go perfectly, maybe, maybe I woke up late or maybe I, I my training didn't go great. I'm going to go, okay, what what about that can I be grateful for? So what, what did I do well in that thing? And, maybe, and then it's like, what can I be grateful for? Maybe I can be grateful for myself for doing it, period. And what can I do better tomorrow? Mm -hmm. So it's like, I want, I want to create the lens of positivity and reflection. And like, okay, so like you say, yes, I did this workout. That's great. Hey, you did something good for yourself. You didn't do your best today. So how can I do better tomorrow? Tomorrow, I'm going to prepare better by making sure I start my day with hydration and a great healthy meal. So yeah. it's like, the, I want to have the, the lens of positivity through, through which I, be, I view the world. Because it's so easy to get stuck in the lens of like criticism. Yeah. I mean, I, and I noticed myself yesterday. This is really interesting. I woke up. I never wake up in alarm. But I woke up yesterday with an alarm because I had to get up early. So uh, I woke up and I had um, an eye mask on because my room where I'm staying right now is bright-ish. Yeah. Um, so I had an eye mask on and, and the alarm startled me and I like, ripped it off. And I was like, I had, I had this this lens of like uh, almost, almost like anxiety or like what's what, what happened? And I noticed as soon as I got up and I was like, oh, shift that, right? Shift that to, ah, I'm so grateful to be awake. I'm so grateful to be alive. I'm so grateful for my family. I'm so yeah. grateful for the person that I am. I was like, boom, shift. So I've just changed the lens through which I started the world and through which I, I see the world. I think for everyone listening, like being aware of the the kind of feeling tone that you carry with you into a situation, like is it fear, is it anxiety, is it anger, is it frustration? And just stopping in the moment and going, what do I feel? Yeah. Like, oh, why do I feel that way? And realizing you can shift it. You can change it. Like, oh, I'm grateful. I'm happy. I'm joyful. You can you get to choose. Yeah. So rather than me trying to pursue these these feelings of of progress or happiness or, or whatever, I can I can choose to create them internally. Mm -hmm. That becomes a very different um, way to view the world, right? So if I'm pursuing change, I don't need to ch I don't need to pursue uh, happiness. I don't need to pursue accomplishment. I can just 
feel those things immediately. And now I can come at anything I'm doing with less of an emotional attachment, more of an intentional focus. Yep. That's been a big game changer for me. Yeah. And you're speaking, you are a high performer. You've been at the top of the bodybuilding industry and you're speaking exactly like a high performer because I work with guys in the NFL, NHL, UFC, all the Olympians I've worked with. I've been around the gamut as far as seeing and speaking with people like you. And one thing I notice right away around guys like you is you're talking about a lens of positivity. You're talking about being grateful. You talked about focus. None of these things are metrics in your program. These are all characteristic traits. And I've always found that people who are able to perform at the highest possible level, it's not a program they're sticking to. It's a reflection of their character. Who they are. Exactly. Yeah. So that's if somebody is going to do a 60 second movie of their day, if somebody is going to intentionally flip on and off those emotions, those are reflections of their character. And that's why it doesn't drain their willpower or motivation over time, because what they're doing isn't a draining resource. If you rely on willpower to follow your meal plan, you rely on willpower to follow your training program, well, your willpower is like a green bar of health in a video game. It starts full. But as the day goes on, it's going to wither out. And by the time you get to the end of the day, your willpower is very low. And that's when does everybody reach for chips and stuff like that? It's always at the end of the day. Yeah. Willpower has got its ass whooped yeah. for the last 15 hours. And now, since it's a depleting resource, you're going to be reaching for things to get that satisfaction. But people who do, don't follow programs, but do things as part of a reflection of their character, they get the satisfaction from forward progression. They get satisfaction from becoming a better version of themselves. You know, so that's exactly what I was going to say. So during my bodybuilding career, I was very focused on, you know, what I call the tactics, the X's and O's, right? I need to, I need to hit this workout, I need to hit this PR. And I think that is great to a point. Like you want to have external metrics, but the, the exact same workout can be done with two different mind framings. So I can go into this framing, this, this cardio or this workout or this day going, oh, I have to do it versus I get to do it. It's a completely different framing and I'm becoming a better person. So how can I pursue intentional challenge? How can I pursue making myself better rather than how can I just kind of um, regrettably or not that's not the right word, but get through this workout. I'm like reluctantly get yeah. through this workout. I'm like, uh, fine, I'm going to go do it. It's a completely different framing and people don't realize how much every single thing you do is inculcating who you become in the future, right? Yeah. So like if I do this workout and I have that frame of uh, I get to do it, then the next workout you do becomes that much harder. Because yeah. now I have to fight through that again. And it's like stacking that negativity on top of it versus like, hey, man, I get to do this. I'm so grateful. I did this thing for my body. My body feels great today. And I'm, I'm, I know I'm developing my character rather than just finishing the workout. And if people can mm -hmm. take that simple mind frame and just like flip, as they would call it flipping your mindset. Yeah. So going from this frame of I have to to I get to and I'm developing my – it's setting type of goal to, that makes me make something of me to achieve it. Yeah. It completely shifts perspective for people, man. Yeah. And as we sp spoke about my webinar that I just did, yeah. that's what I literally talked about. It's like how do you just flip? Now you become a person who, who's successful in everything you do. Yeah. And momentum works in both directions. And that's what you're saying. You yeah. said You said the word stack on top of each other because then if that reluctant workout is going to stack upon the reluctant meal and then that reluctant meal is going to stack upon the next reluctant workout yep. momentum can either work for you or against you and momentum is a huge thing man that's why a lot of people when they go on vacation and then they get home they got a hard they, there's a real hard time starting the wheel again you know a lot of people's training might suffer their nutrition might suffer they got to restart that momentum wheel again and you can intentionally switch on and off which direction that momentum wheel is going to go 
totally. you. And, and especially um, if, if you have an attachment to where you were in the past, right? So if you have a, let's say you have a PR of 400 pound deadlift and you're like, I come back from three months and on vacation, I'm like, I barely do too. Like what and now? So now I'm down on myself. I'm like, I didn't hit my PR today. That's the worst framing. And we were talking uh, with Stephanie, the camera off, off camera was like, man, sometimes your greatest blessing is also your biggest curse. So even though people have these, these objective metrics in their mind, like I have to hit this, that can be useful to a point, but sometimes it can also be the absolute worst thing for your psyche, right? Because mm-hmm. like, one, what, what gets you here won't get you there. So you have to learn to kind of change your perspective, but also it can be the cause of a lot of suffering unnecessarily. Because if I'm just objectively showing up today and doing the best I can right now, and I'm making consistent progress, I'm showing up every day, man, life gets so much better, so much faster, rather than like having this perspective of I have to be my best today. And, and the simple framing for the audience and, and, and anybody is like stretching out your timeline. Have you ever done like a 25 year timeline? No. Man, so think about this. If you're, you're what, how old are you now? 32. Okay, so when you're uh, 57, um, if you set goals for when you're 57, Let's say if you think in your mind, okay, what are some things I want when I'm 57? Like you can think of like your, your business goals, you can think of your relational goals, you can think of your physical goals, and just get a vision of your mind now of what you want to do. Something maybe something completely different. So here's an example. When I'm 65, I want to be a, I want to be a proficient surfer. So if I if I stretch out the timeline to I want to be a good surfer when I'm 65, rather than I want to be a good surfer now, all I have to do is get up on the board today. And that's a win. And I was like, if I just consistently get up on the board, eventually. I'm, I'm getting better. So instead of being attached to progress, I'm being, I'm actually building enjoyment into the process. Mm-hmm. When you build enjoyment into the process, what happens to the learning process? Way better. Ex- exponentially greater. <laughs> yeah. right? that's, so me, for me doing that lately, it's been just been like, oh, so when I'm 65, I want to be an incredibly valuable contributor to people's businesses. I want to be an incredibly valuable contributor to, to people's lives. And you set that framing and you go, okay, now I've got 25 years to do it instead of having to jam it all into today. Yeah. This is what so many people do. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's that was the opposite of what I did for that transformation that I did this year because I'm around the highest performing, best genetic people in the entire Yeah, exactly, right? So I, I absolutely can't approach it like that. And if I did approach it like that, I wouldn't have got as far as I did because I, it needed to be a fulfilling and enjoyable process the entire way through for anybody to survive. And I think that's the reason why most people don't survive. Like a lot of people, like they'll want to approach their goals as if they are a professional athlete, but a professional athlete doesn't have a nine to five. A professional athlete has 20 million in the bank that he can put towards this. A professional athlete can go. a lot of ways to soothe your stress. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a completely different scenario. So when you Google LeBron James workout split, and then you want to do that, and then you fail and get injured. It's like downloading McDonald's business plan. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, I'm starting a personal training business. I just downloaded McDonald's business plan online. You're like, what? Yeah. It's a big business, but it's not going to help you. Right? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it's like. So let's, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about your approach when you take on an athlete. So you said you've taken on some amazing athletes. And I love your approach because it seems like you're taking, like what I say is like a systems approach. Right? We're looking at all the different aspects that, that contribute to this this individual system. So what does that look like? Yeah. So I, it's, it's a way in which I can blend the science and art of coaching. So the science, what I do is I am very well known for utilizing a comprehensive battery of lab assessments and essentially providing what I believe to be the most elite service in the world for identifying what is going to be the next thing that takes you over to your next level of potential. Because I'm not always just looking for performance enhancement opportunities. 
I am looking for what I call performance anchors. So what kind of dysfunction do you currently have in the body? What type of stressors do you currently have in the body? And in order to identify that at the highest possible level, you need to have an approach at the highest possible level. So from the science branch, I'll actually have my clients undergo blood, urine, stool, and hair analysis. Because if we just do a blood chemistry, we're essentially getting a snapshot of your physiology. But if I do blood, urine, stool, hair, I'm getting the full movie of your physiology. And when I can see absolutely everything that's going on with your physiology from a metric perspective, I can create the perfect program for you. Mm. But then from an art perspective, I'll also have my clients undergo a battery of lifestyle assessments. So uh, sleep analysis, stress analysis, goals analysis, timeline analysis, absolutely everything is covered because you could have the most scientifically proven best plan in the world, but it's going to be useless for you if you can't remain consistent on it. Biology responds to adaptations over time. Time involves consistency. Consistency is personal to the individual. And that's where the art of coaching truly comes in. So I do my absolute best to create a marriage between the science and art of coaching through looking at every single metric of your body from the inside out, but then utilizing an approach that works for your lifestyle from the outside in so that you can do the best program possible for you in a way that you can remain consistent with. I love that. One thing that comes up is if you, if you start to cross-reference DNA, start looking at DNA and how that, how that kind of correlates with what people express right now? Not yet. No, I, I just, I personally haven't been too sold on DNA just yet. And I, I know a lot of people are looking into that and I think that it is a future for nutritional application, but I don't think it's where it should be just yet in terms of repeated research on many different demographics. So, so here, here's what you'll see, and this is what, what I do, is like, I'll take someone's DNA, and I don't necessarily make predictions based on their DNA, but what I look at is I go, okay, I have the urine, I have their blood, and I have their DNA, and if I go, okay, this person's lacking you know, this this nutrient, and it's kind of consistently showing up over time, oftentimes what you'll see is on the genetics, a predisposition to lacking that nutrient. Yeah. And, and some steps are very, very, like, very well robustly studied, and someone's aren't, right? So yeah. I think it's just interesting to start drawing correlations. Like, when I see this person expressing as like lacking the resilience and stress and then i could see they have mthr deficiencies over here i'm like okay i can see a correlation yeah so you don't necessarily draw any conclusions from it but i think over time you start to draw some some correlations yeah i think that's useful right because because you know in five years that's going to be this that's going to be the space right yeah, yeah. Ge genetic testing is absolutely going to be a future of nutrition there is no doubt about that mm -hmm. and i think that right now i like to use because a lot of people use genetic testing because they, it's, it's a representation of them right but we're measuring your urine and your blood. And your still, it's still you, you know. Yeah. It's, I, I use those metrics because the the large scientific consensus that we have on many of those metrics and uh, the the ways in which we can incorporate nutrition to impact them. You know, there, there's a lot of things in genetics. Like I said, I kind of just would like to see more. I think it's the future, but I would like to see a little bit more. Um, I would probably use genetics in the same way that you do to inform decision-making mm -hmm. rather than create well, decision-making. I think it's just like, as we talked about earlier, I think both of us have this desire to understand more at a deeper level. And so yeah. for me, rather than just using it as a, as a predictor, I'm just using it as like, Okay, what, what am I seeing here that I can build my knowledge on the, in the future? And mm -hmm. I think not everyone wants to do DNA, and I'm totally cool with that. But usually I suggest it, and, and like, I'm just looking for trends. Because, like, man, I don't know. Like, there's so much. It's so yeah. complicated. I'm not an expert. But, like, I just want to see it and see how it correlates. I think it's interesting. And especially now as they can start to do some uh, predictive stuff with epigenetics. Yeah. It just seems interesting, man. Like I said, I'm nowhere near proficient at, at being able to prescribe. But, like, 
think it's just so interesting to know that in the future we may be able to determine what genes are on, which genes are off, and, and then how to influence the, the expression of those genes. Definitely. I think it's so interesting from a performance perspective. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So, I mean, at, at the moment, I think that what everybody could do is simply get a blood chemistry. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, at the most basic level, yeah. um, it's, it's fun to get a lot of the testing. A lot of my testing is extremely elite, so it's kind of reserved for only the elite. But um, what everybody... Just cost prohibitive? Yeah, cost perspective. And the fact that it's my heart, soul, and passion. Mm. So I don't just look at your tests and go, okay, you're cool. Like if everything's in the reference range, there's a lot of my time goes into properly analyzing every single last metric of it and, and looking at things that are within normal range, but they're not normal for the population that I'm working with. The, the reference ranges is something that the entire industry needs to do a rehaul with. Totally. totally. So I think that from a cost perspective, the labs are expensive. So I kind of reserve that only for the elite. That's just natural. But I also absolutely like I, I don't everyone's had the experience where they filled out a questionnaire in a medical facility and no one looked at it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So when someone fills out their comprehensive lifestyle questionnaire, I carefully go through every single question. It's a very long time, way harder for me, but way better result in the long run. And it would be the exact same thing with people's labs. I'm looking, I'm calculating every single ratio. I'm doing every type of predictive, predictive value that I can. So it's hours involved driving up cost, but then also labs involved driving up cost. But at the end, you do get the absolute perfect science and our combination of what's going to work for you. Very cool. So you, you made reference there to some of the ranges being skewed. Can you yeah. some examples of what you think have been skewed almost everything, or is it just specific ones that stand out as being? Yeah, I mean, there's plenty. Like uh, a good one could be glucose. A glucose is a good option because uh, if some if somebody is normal on a glucose, they're considered quote unquote normal on a glucose lab so long as they're under 100. But we've it's ridiculous. Isn't that insane? We've seen very clear data that for every one point above 85, you're at a 6% greater risk to develop type 2 diabetes within the next decade. So if you are at 95, well, you're at a 60% greater risk to develop type 2 diabetes within the next decade, but you're considered normal? No, you're not. That, that is extremely unhealthy for your physiology yep. in every respect of, of glucose regulation, which means hormonally, oxidative stress, brain health. How about this? Every point uh, when, when you've hit 95 on a glucose test, 95 and upward has already been connected to uh, degeneration within the eyes. There's something known as diabetic retinopathy, mm -hmm. where you actually create inflammation that literally damages your vision. And we've seen that at 95, yet you're normal so until you're at hours, 100. How many hours should, be, should people be fasting before they do these blood glucose tests? I would just say that uh, the night before, so 12 to 16. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I think that you're going to get a very similar mark. Yeah. So that's one thing that I test, I mean, not right now, but normally it's daily, like, or at least three, four times a week, I'm doing my, my morning blood glucose. Yeah. Just because I know it's such an important marker. And I know if my, my, glucose, my blood glucose runs low all the time. Like, yeah. since I was young, like, as a bodybuilder, I started to, to trend up a little bit. But, yeah. you know, maybe it's like high 60s, low 70s. Yeah. And like, I think that's good. And I tell people like, wow, it's very low. I'm like, I think that's where it's supposed to be. Yeah. I, feel, I could be wrong, but like, is that, does that feel like it's a normal range or is that still low? Yeah, do you feel fine? Great. There you go, yeah. just metabolically flexible. That's yeah. somebody who's very glucose efficient. So I would absolutely have no issue with that whatsoever. If you don't have any hypoglycemic tendencies, you don't get super energized after eating carbohydrates. So if you don't have those hypoglycemic tendencies, then that would be considered non, 
non-relevant um, towards whatever it is that we're going for at the time. But yeah, I mean, every point above 85, 6% increase in type 2 diabetes risk. At 95, we're getting degeneration of our eyes, right. and yet we're still considered normal. Um, I could go on for, for forever on this. Um, albumin's another one. And this is where you have to actually seek out the correct practitioner who has a passion about this stuff, like myself. Because we, if you look at LabCorp's reference range for albumin, it is 4 to 5. So 4.0 to 5.0 and these are north american metrics um and if but if you look at the mayo clinics it's 3.5 to 5.0 yet we saw in a, in a in a study from the journal of insurance medicine that followed 1.7 million people for 12 years so excellent data found that your risk for death increased 189 percent below four so in the mayo clinics reference ranges if you got a 3.5 you're considered yeah. normal Yet we have amazing data demonstrating that your mortality risk just went up 189%. Mm -hmm. It also, that's another one. Um, if you have someone, vitamin D, vitamin D is one I've been vocal about lately where the, the industry, you know, me and you, we were just working out and we were talking about how intelligence is not a representation of how much you can memorize. Mm -hmm. It's how, what type of questions you can ask yep. to get the correct answer. And a lot of people, they'll talk about vitamin D. If, if vitamin D is low, we need more vitamin D. But the question should always be, why is vitamin D low? Because vitamin D is an acute phase reactant. So if you are in a state of high inflammation, vitamin D will be low. It's an acute phase reactant. Um, we've seen trace minerals, boron, increases vitamin D, yet lead suppresses vitamin D. So, and a lot of, you know, fun fact, a lot of people don't know, vitamin D actually enhances uptake of metals. So it's seen as a potential protective mechanism of the body to intentionally lower vitamin D if you have presence of lead in the body. Yet someone's going to say, oh, I've got low vitamin D. I better take 5,000, 10,000 IU. Are completely arbitrary numbers, by the way. And then the, uh, you, what, did you have low vitamin D? Or is your body trying to protect you from heavy metal toxicity? Hmm. No, the, these things can go on forever. If someone who's hypothyroid, a hypothyroid individual may show up with low serum uh, vitamin D, which is 25-hydroxy, but they have incredibly high 125-hydroxy, which is the actual active form of vitamin D. So if we're adding a bunch of more vitamin D to someone who already has an incredibly high 125, you're adding gas to the fire. You're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at an inactive form of something rather than the active form of something, and then adding more gas to that fire. Uh, magnesium's on that list too. Magnesium's was actually important in synthesizing both vitamin D as well as vitamin D binding globulin. So it's incredibly important. So do you have low vitamin D or do you have low magnesium? It's essentially about asking better questions about what's happening in one's physiology. And like even when looking at the, the blood chemistry, like we talked about previously, trending high albumin is associated with dehydration. Trending high, not necessarily high, just trending high. If somebody has low triglycerides, that's absolutely associated with immune dysfunction. Uh, mm -hmm. Some some people might look at that and be like, oh, I've got low triglycerides. That's a good thing, right? Well, that's directly associated with immune dysfunction. Interesting. So if someone's triglycerides are high, that's terribly bad. And if they're low, there's bad also. Yeah, or you can meet in the middle. And this is where you really got to know your stuff. Because if somebody has metabolic syndrome, um, which is associated with, if for those unfamiliar, high cholesterol, high triglycerides, high glucose values. So they could have be, they could have metabolic syndrome and have elevated triglycerides. So if they have all of the characteristics of metabolic syndrome, but normal triglycerides, it means that someone with metabolic syndrome, but immune dysfunction bringing down triglycerides. 
So it's like, oh, okay, well, my triglycerides are fine, but let's work on these other things. You're, 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 you're missing what's happening here because that is artificially brought down due to an immune dysfunction. Hmm. You, uh, you do have triglycerides if you didn't have an immune problem. <laughs> that, that's, and, so, and, and here's the funny thing. If someone does the correct thing and does an immune system, creates a, you know, whatever the root cause would have been. Let's say we improve immune function. Triglycerides will actually go up high first if they didn't also lose weight at the same time. And they say, oh, your diet gave me high triglycerides. No, it didn't. It improved your immune function. And now we got to get you in a hypocaloric state so that we can bring your metabolic syndrome markers all down. So all, all I mean, another thing on a, on a blood chemistry test, somebody has low bilirubin. Bilirubin is one of the best markers for oxidative stress. One of the best ones. If somebody has below 0.4, it is a phenomenal indicator that they are suffering with oxidative stress. Mm. If somebody's neutrophils and lymphocytes, we could go on all day. And this is a basic blood chemistry, by the way. If somebody's neutrophils and lymphocytes are at a greater of three to one ratio, neutrophils to lymphocytes, it's representative of a bacterial infection. So somebody could come back with normal neutrophils and lymphocytes, by the way, both normal. But if I don't know my ratios, then I don't know that I now need to order a stool test because there's a possible pathogenic issue within the gut. So you just gotta, you gotta kind of, you, there's so much you can gather, but it's not the lab. It's the interpreter of the lab that's going to get you that result. Man, mind blown. That's great. So uh, one thing you talked about there, blood glucose, I'm going to spin back to that and bring up insulin because how many people are measuring insulin? I'm curious what you feel about where that should be, where, the, where it's, it doesn't matter, it's something we should, we should be measuring. Just tell me about what insulin, measuring insulin and what the range should be and maybe we're interpreting it or is it valuable? Um, I don't think it's actually that valuable. I think looking at something like a hemoglobin, like a, a sorry, a H1AC, yeah. so looking at that is a little bit more representative because it's a little bit less of a snapshot. Like I said previously, the snapshot of physiology sure, versus sure, the full sure. movie. Yeah, yeah. So I'd rather get something that's a little bit more chronically representative. And I think that way actually about everything. So like in, in that world of hormones, because mm -hmm. if somebody has like, we just did a, a back workout, right? If we went absolutely crazy with it, we would actually have low testosterone right now, right now. But do we have low testosterone? Mm -hmm. Definitely not. So that's one of the challenges with um, that I always think about with blood tests is why I do them so frequently is because like there's so much fluctuation day to day, week to week. If I'm yeah. not consistent with what I did for two or three days prior, levels can be all over the place. So I try to be relatively consistent. I try to kind of minimize my, my food intake and just like train, minimize training, just let my body kind of be at, at its default state yeah. and see what happens. Yeah. And that's why I like to get the full movie. Yeah. That's the thing, you know, because yeah, that snapshot you would be as more valuable if one could plot it out and do a bunch of blood tests and see where they're at in response to different programming measures. But um, I, that's why I do like to do organic acid testing and your micronutrient testing and your blood chemistry. I, I look at absolutely everything. And what you're essentially trying to do, I, what I prefer to do actually, um, is not even talk to the person. So like if you were to hire me, um, I, you would have filled out your lifestyle questionnaires and all that stuff. I actually prefer to not even look at any of that until I see your labs, because I don't want your communication, the way you to present you. things to bias the way I look at a lab. So I'm like, oh, okay, well then this could be going on with the gut. Ben said he had bloating. So this could be the, I don't want to actually create any form of bias. So I'll look at a lab and labs always sing a song to me and I can talk to people like, Hey, so I'm going to guess you get up frequently throughout the night. Yeah, yeah. How'd you know? Yeah, I'm going to guess probably, you know, you, you actually get a lot more energized from meals. Um, it gives you a lot of energy. How did you actually know that? Well, I, there's, I know I'm able to know somebody 
by looking at their labs. So I don't want any bias at all because a lot of times someone, and you'll get a prototype. So I don't want to insult anybody, but if you get like a type of hippie person who does those kind of things, they're going to they're going to be <laughs> you more can insult everyone. Yeah. On the show, right? Everyone. <laughs> they're they're going to be more prone to think they have a detoxification issue. Right. Right. There's that prototype. There's going to be a prototype to think that they. So what, what would be the prototype? Why would someone think they have a detoxification issue? And instead, what would it be? It could be anything. Mm. Like that's the thing. Like so it, what would what would what would manifest for a hippie to say you need to do a detox? Like liver, liver toxicity kind of thing? or um, I think uh, for a lot of times with people like that, with the naturalistic type, I think that they're just prone towards more naturalistic and detoxification things. It's basically a character prototype. It's just been my experience. But um, one thing you learn doing labs is everything is connected to everything. Mm -hmm. So I don't stop. Totally true. Yeah, <laughs> you just, a root cause can hide anywhere, you know? And, and pe what people... Biology's answered questions that we don't even know are questions yet. I think biology is the most fascinating thing, and that's what drives it keeps me awake at night. Like I know I'm a crazy person because I'll actually think about enzymes and stuff, and, and it's dark, and I'm in my bedroom, my wife's sound asleep, and I'm a psychopath thinking about something. Um, but it's it's a good thing that you could do when looking at a lab. Instead of memorize what you read in a textbook, is ask yourself, why does the body think this is a good idea? Because it's always oh, an adaptive response. Something in training. It's why, the, why did my body do that? Yeah. It's, it's always some type of a compensation yeah. because it's leveraging upon the dysfunction of another organ or organ system. So you have to ask the right question and have a fundamental knowledge of anatomy and biochemistry to be able to start figuring these things out. So I think that... That's essentially what's missing. Like one, I love, I love conventional medicine, and I also love you know what people would call Eastern medicine or naturalistic medicine mm -hmm. versus allopathic. If I did my career right, you know, I would create a marriage between these two and leave the industry a better place because of it. Because both of them are unbelievably valuable. But if you only stay over here, I have to talk to each other. Or you only stay over here, then not only do the practitioners lose. But the patients lose the most. Well, that's the idea about being like in science that they, they've for the last 20 years have really pushed the idea of being a specialist, right? And now it seems to be trending back toward being a deep generalist. Yeah. Like I need to know a lot about a lot, right? Like, yeah. I can't just know a little bit, a little, or a lot about a little. I need to know a lot about a lot. Yeah. And a cheat, kind of a cheat code for that is understanding a lot of cellular biochemistry because we're made up of cells. You know, in, in, in the beginning of any medical textbook, you're going to be taught the levels of organization. It's that cells, make up tissues, tissues make up organs, organs make up organ systems, and organ systems make up an organism, which is a human. And then you learn that level of organization. And then if you play, you know, the weirdest game that only I would play, you could, I, you could, <laughs> you could come up with a diagnosis and actually work your way back. So like if somebody has um, PCOS, or if somebody has, you know, let's just say PCOS, whatever. Well, we've got an organism, so that's a human. Okay, does PCOS, is it the whole human's problem? It's definitely not the whole human's problem. So let's go back and love the organs. Okay, it's organ systems. Well, it's not multiple organ systems. It's the reproductive system that's happening. So let's take ourselves out of the reproductive system. And okay, is it all reproductive organs that make all sex hormones? It's probably not. It's going to be some sort of issue within the ovaries. So that's the organ. Now, is it the entire ovary? 
that's the problem? Definitely not. So ovaries are made up of tissues. What are tissues within any type of organ? You're going to get connective tissue, muscle tissue, neural tissue, and epithelial tissue. Well, it's definitely not a neural problem in PCOS. It's definitely not going to be a muscular problem, and it's no problem within the connective tissue. But the epithelial tissue is where all the hormonal interplay happens. So what are the cells that make up the epithelial tissue? Well, the cells that make up that require these micronutrients, this type of environment for optimal activity, and this type of protection from incoming invaders, whether endogenous or exogenous. Now we can begin. So if you, if you are somebody in this industry, you can get phenomenally confused, phenomenally confused, because you'll go to a seminar on the brain and you'll be shown compelling data about how the brain and the way in which you manipulate the brain nutritionally is the answer to everything. You'll get so excited. And then you'll bring that protocol to your client and it'll work for 50% of them. You're like, okay, so that wasn't it. So then you go to the next seminar because that guy was super charismatic and he looked great on Instagram and he did a seminar on the liver. There's actually great papers on how the liver is connected to everything. He shows you compelling evidence. on there, And this is true. There's actually some psychological disorders that begin in the liver and then end up as neurotransmitter problems in the brain. We've seen that data. So you can actually start connecting everything to the liver. And then, okay, oh, frick, it's the liver. That's what, that's what everyone needs. And you can get, you can get infatuated with an organ. And then you apply this protocol to everybody and it happens. What? You're going to work for 30 to 50% of people again. And you're like, God, so what do I got to do? Do I have to become an expert in the brain and the liver, the small intestine, the large intestine, the microbiome, the thyroid, the sex, the sex organs? How can I be an expert in everything? You know, if you want to type a cheat code to that, you can become an expert in cellular biology and then play that weird game that I just played and work your way backwards and understand that if a great launching pad to begin your diagnostic protocol is to start questioning what cells are currently dysfunctioning. Because if we have dysfunction in the cells, well, the tissues aren't going to work optimally. If the tissues aren't working optimally, that's going to impact the organ. The organ is going to impact the organ systems, which is going to manifest in symptoms within the organism. That was awesome. <laughs> Thanks, yeah, brother. He's so passionate about it, right? He's great. Yeah, it's just, I, I truly want to help people. That's that's my thing. I just, I don't want to give protocols. I want my, if, if I do my job right, then someone doesn't call me again mm -hmm. because they're functioning optimally in my absence. So in my in my community, you can imagine testosterone's a big, yeah. big lever. And, and most, um, even most professionals, most doctors are going to go, oh, your testosterone's low. Prescribe testosterone. Talk to me about that. Well, I'll go up rabbit hole. Yeah, that's the idea because I, I know. Yeah, it's what an eleven step or seventeen step process. Start a rocket in my chair. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I think we need to know this. I want to know. I think the audience needs to realize that it, it's not a, a like one and done. Like take this shot and everything gets fixed. It's, yeah, man, it's like it's a bandit. Uh, so you know, imagine me having been a professional bodybuilder for. 10 years, yeah. and clearly I was taking exogenous hormones. Clearly now my hormones are still not right. And you go to a doctor and like, hey, you take testosterone. Like, Man, that's just not the right answer. Correct. Like I want to learn how to optimize every step in the continuum. Yeah. So it's just like, let's, let's talk about that with the audience. Absolutely. So that's kind of like what I was talking about with marriage previously. If, if we can create a marriage between Western and Eastern medical ideas, then that's when we're going to help people the most. And one thing I think that Western medicine does wrong or even does horribly, actually, is if somebody is not in a disease state, they're not going to help them. So once you enter a disease state, okay, now glucose is over 100, well, yeah, you know, like, but maybe that's the intention. Yeah, well, 
that's another can of worms that we can, that's another podcast. But um, in, in respect to testosterone, um, there's so many root causes. So if somebody, you know, let's use blood pressure as an example to launch how I'm going to yell at people about testosterone. So if, if we have high blood pressure, right? Just like you said, I got low testosterone. I'm going to go get a testosterone shot. I got high blood pressure. I'm going to go get high blood pressure medication. Yeah. Everyone should do that. That's a wrap, right? But why? My brain works differently. I, a a symptom-based person would say high blood pressure, blood pressure medication. I can teach my golden retriever to do that. But I, what I want people to ask is why is my blood pressure high? Okay, cool. Well, is it an imbalance in magnesium? Because I would definitely do it. Is it a problem with the sodium-potassium pump? Because that could definitely do it. Are they having a problem metabolizing um, the amino acid arginine? Because that's certainly a problem that could do it. Is it genetically based? Is it insulin resistance? Is it alcoholism? There's, there's six things just off the top of my head, and there would be more that could be someone's root causal issue as to why they have high blood pressure. And the body doesn't want to have high blood pressure. That is, that is a dysfunction that it is not trained to do. The cells are not operating optimally. So we need to answer first, why is blood pressure high? And then address that at the root causal level so that that person can live the rest of their life in the absence of medication functioning optimally. So the same thing is in reference to testosterone. If you have low testosterone, it's not because you need more testosterone and ethane. It's not because you need testosterone. It could be, but you would have to do a lot of ruling out at that point. So, so lots, one thing a lot of people don't know is zinc and magnesium are both rate limiting steps in producing testosterone. So if you, you literally need these two micronutrients to synthesize any testosterone. And if you want to actually follow the biochemical chain further, what you're going to really do is you're going to grab some cholesterol, you're going to combine it with some vitamin B5, you're going to make some little cool thing called acetyl-CoA, that acetyl-CoA has actually got to go to the mitochondria. Then the mitochondria, or a lot of people don't know that either, the mitochondria is what actually produces pregnenolone. So your mitochondria is what shot out pregnenolone. Pregnenolone is then going to be converted into DHEA, then to androstenedione, and then to testosterone. Everything I just said has macronutrient and enzymatic needs. So we now have about six different processes that we can assess from a micronutrient and an enzymatic perspective if someone is having a hiccup in their chain to create more testosterone. Okay, cool. So it wasn't an enzymatic problem. It wasn't a micronutrient problem. We did all that testing. They have cholesterol synthesis within the body. All of that seemed okay. Okay, cool. We've seen arsenic and cadmium directly lower testosterone as well. Also, as you stress, as you sleep. These things are also directly connected to testosterone. So is saturated fat and healthy fat intake in general is directly connected to your testosterone secretion. Um, you could go on all day about this stuff. And even stressors that people are unfamiliar with, if you're creating a stressor, let's say, and this is why I say everything is connected to everything. Because if you have, say, a bacterial, a yeast, or a parasitic infection that's relatively asymptomatic, it doesn't mean it's not a stressor for your physiology. And a stressor is going to involve some form of glucocorticoid secretion. Glucocorticoids run antagonistic with testosterone. So you have an, an issue creating a stressor that has nothing to do with your testes, but low testosterone is the symptom. But the symptom is never the problem. The symptom is only ever the result of the problem. So ruling out where stressors are coming from, the macronutrient needs, the biochemical pathways, I don't even know how many root causes I just offered right there, but I'm betting 
nine out of 10 people don't consider any of them. And I've had literal situations, and I've got before and after lab analysis to prove this, where I've tripled people's natural testosterone within the first six months. Because all I'm doing is looking for a hidden stressor that's impacting the way the cells are operating in the body, and ultimately the outcome that the organism is going to function at. Another can of worms for you, man. I want to talk about um, cholesterol. So. Cholesterol is one of these things that I've had some cholesterol experts on the show, and I still leave sometimes more confused, right? So you've got uh, large molecules, small molecules, high density, low density. I know we could talk about this for probably hours, but yeah. maybe you can just give us a snapshot on, like, you know, what, how should we be viewing, like, maybe a high-level framework on how to overview cholesterol, because people simply don't understand, okay. uh, including myself. Yeah, so if you don't understand, then forget it. Let's look at your total cholesterol to triglyceride values. If your total cholesterol to triglycerides at about two to one ratio, that's going to be your strongest predictor for longevity. So if you don't understand the minutia, let's just look at that ratio to see if you even need to understand the minutia. Because sometimes you can have what may seem as a higher cholesterol or higher triglyceride, but so long as that ratio is in point, I'm really not that worried about you. So that would be the first thing that we would check off is looking at a basic blood chemistry and seeing what's going on with your ratios. After that, the analogy I like to give people in respect to cholesterol is that um, your LDLs are kind of like that, that old fairy tale of little kids leaving breadcrumbs everywhere they went to remember where they came from. Mm -hmm. Your LDL is kind of like that. It'll leave little bits of plaque throughout the circulatory system everywhere it goes. And that's why it can it is correlated anyway to cardiovascular events, because if that plaque buildup becomes too great, then it can create a lot of problems for your vascular networks. However, your HDL is kind of like the janitor. So your HDL will literally go and collect these little droplets that the LDL left around, redistribute back to the liver for metabolization and excretion. So if you have very high LDL and low HDL, you've got a lot of kids making messes without enough janitors to clean it up. I like it. But if we've got more HDL than we have kids making messes, yeah. well, then we've got enough janitors on staff. We're, we're going to be doing all right. The, the vascular system is going to be doing its job. And uh, what would be a detriment to us is to actually try to kill cholesterol. Because like I mentioned in the metabolic pathway chart there that I drew in the air, um, the cholesterol is going to be required for sex hormone synthesis. So if somebody's on a statin, we've also seen this in research, if somebody is taking high levels of statins and suppressing cholesterol, it is associated with lower testosterone. And statins also deplete CoQ10. So that would be another piece of advice. If somebody is on cholesterol medication, it does deplete CoQ10. Speaking of athletes and, and these, lab, these lab testing, one of the things that people don't often talk about is the stool analysis that you brought up. And I'd be curious what you are looking for. I know that it's kind of opened up Pandora's box again, but I'd be curious what you look for in a stool analysis. I'm looking for anything I can get. So the, the way in which I operate, kind of like I said previous, I, I refer to it as a performance anchor. If one has a stressor within their physiology, it's going to impact their adaptive reserve. So you can think about, um, or you can call it a recovery reserve, whatever you want to call it. You can think about somebody's recovery reserve for their ability to adapt from training, kind of like a pie. Think about it like a pie. If somebody has anything that is going to irritate or create issues for the immune system. It's as if you're taking a piece of that pie out. So let's say you've got a full pie of adaptive reserve from your training. Now, if you have a type of underlying stressor that you're not so sure about, you may be taking 
20% of that pie out because now the immune system has to worry and respond to the current stressor that's happening inside the body because survival is more important than getting big biceps. So whatever immunity has to go toward the infection, your body's absolutely going to go serve it towards that infection. And whatever immunity is left over towards your adaptive reserve, that is what you can adapt from training. It's, uh, it's the way in which I actually I recalibrate somebody's uh, belief in themselves in a lot of ways, because someone will have a hidden stressor. Let's say they have a bacterial and a parasitic infection. Well, they're creating a lot of hidden stress within their body every single day. So I talk to them about it as if 40% of your adaptive pie has now been taken and is dealing with this stressor because your immune system for, for people who may be unfamiliar, it's involved in both the stimulus and the adaptation from exercise. It is what's creating those cytokines for pro-inflammation. If I train my muscle at creating a lot of inflammation within the muscle, but then the immune system is also responsible for cleaning cell debris and putting the signaling in place to get amino acids, to get uh, things refueled and repaired within that area. So if we're talking about adaptation and you know this goes way back into the early 1900s the general adaptation syndrome um, if you go way way back then um, anything that's going to impact a stressor your body can only handle so much and that's why we've seen such a wide scope like you see stress decreases one's ability to adapt from exercise we even saw in highly stressed out college kids that stress reduces um, the amount of strength and muscle they're gonna expect to gain from a program. This was done with leg press training, but it also actually increased their delayed onset muscle soreness simply because they were highly stressed out and those, the adaptive reserve was absolutely at a lower level. So when I'm looking at a stool analysis or a blood analysis or urine, whatever I'm looking for, I'm looking for what I refer to as that performance anchor so that I can put it the pie back to full because if someone has a parasite or dysbiosis bacterial opportunistic infection if they've got a yeast infection all of these are going to impact that adaptive reserve and i said i recalibrate one's belief in themselves because if someone's working at 80 percent of their adaptive ability um, you know dang well we've already made correlations to training training is only useful if you can adapt from it yeah, uh, stimulus without an adaptation isn't going to make you better. It's actually just going to wear you down more and you're going to get less of a result rather than more of a result. And you're going to increase your risk for injury. So the way in which to recalibrate one's belief in themselves is to unlock the potential that they have within themselves, not by adding more performance things in, but by taking performance expenses out. So I'm creating the health, the body is going to adapt to the degree of the health of the organism. So I'm looking at someone's stool analysis to get rid of that stressor, to improve their adaptive reserve so that they can increase their weekly training volume, intensity, or frequency and actually adapt from it so it can actually benefit them. And that's what's recalibrating the belief in themselves because they are setting goals based upon the 80% version of themselves. They are setting limitations on themselves based on the 80% version of themselves. But they're not 80% because they need more performance metrics. They're 80% because they need less performance expenses. So when we unlock that 100%, that's when you're gonna get the full potential of an athlete. Is everything, um, can I recover from everything? So you know, there's a lot of things we're talking about here, right? So we're looking at blood, we're looking at urine, we're looking at stool, um, and some things come up in my mind and go, gosh, is it possible to recover from those things? I mean, your experience, is there any of that? Is, there, is it possible to recover from everything that you've encountered so far? 
Um, so in, in respect to a training program design? Yeah, yeah, in respect to like taking away those performance anchors. I think, and it'll be controversial, but I think the body is the ultimate adaptation machine. And you see guys uh, that are absolutely like Cam Haynes, you know, running a marathon every single day Such a beast. for a million days in a row, <laughs> right? On paper, no, that'll that's not possible. Right. But it, you know, you know James Lawrence who did a hundred triathlon distance, uh, hundred Olympic distance triathlons for a hundred days in a row. It's insane. It's just like what the human body is the uh, what Courtney uh, DeWalter or something like that. She's a uh, and one of these iron race people. And she runs like a hundred miles, but beats all of the men and beats them by enormous margins, right. enormous margins. I just think I w I'm not going to say that the body can recover from anything because th th there's going to be a point where it won't. But I think without a shade of doubt that the body is capable of recovering more than the listeners think that it can. And it's not because they need you know, more drugs. It's sure. not because they need a lot of the things they think they need. It's because they actually, and here's the real kicker, your race for performance begins with health. Oh, man. Yeah. I say it all the time. Yeah. yeah. So my, my definition of health is the ability to adapt to impose demand. And it sounds like we're talking the same language. That's the exact same language. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's talk about um, the organic acid test. And I think a lot of people have heard that. They don't know what it is. And you and I kind of both use that, and you're obviously a lot deeper into understanding. So the organic acid test, for you who don't know, your analysis, maybe you could tell them, and just kind of gives you a snapshot of all the metabolic pathways that exist in the body mm -hmm. and, and where they might be strong and where they might be limited. So let's go through that a little bit. Sure. So an organic acid test, it basically you said it, um, it's going to be a representation of different metabolic pathways in the body and whether you are functioning optimally or if there is a weak link in your chain. So for example, um, what I'm looking for is an end product of metabolism in your urine. So not necessarily, let's just use dopamine as an example. I'm not going to see the exact neurotransmitter dopamine in your urine, but I'm going to see an end product of metabolism that you made dopamine. So how does that work? Well, let's take the amino acid L-tyrosine, because we, if we're going to make the neurotransmitter dopamine, which is responsible for um, many things, performance, focus, motivation, attention span, drive, these things are all connected with dopamine levels within the body. But there are no free lunches in physiology. You don't make, a lot of people kind of make that mistake. They think the hormones are for free. We learned that, no, you need a lot of micronutrients, you need cholesterol, you need a lot of these things. They think neurotransmitters are free. These aren't free either. Your brain and your reproductive organs, nothing can make something for free. It requires macronutrients, micronutrients, a lot of enzymatic pathways, a the health of your mitochondria requires a lot of things to be in place for these pathways to be essentially a five-lane highway rather than a single-lane highway. If you have a dysfunction in your metabolic pathway, you can make you know five-lane highway worth of dopamine um, if, if it's functioning optimally. But if you have a dysfunction, let's say a micronutrient availability problem, well, you're still going to make dopamine, but your are your ability or your capacity at which to make it. Uh, the amount as well as the speed is going to be uh, dramatically worsened. So to travel back to what I was saying, if we're going to make dopamine, we're going to need to begin with the amino acid L-tyrosine. L-tyrosine is rich in things such as red meat as well as eggs, great sources of L-tyrosine. L-tyrosine is going to be broken down into hydroxyphenylalanine. Hydroxyphenylalanine is then only if we have enough vitamin B6. If we don't have enough B6, then we know that's a problem. But um, hydroxyphenylalanine is then going to be made into dopamine. 
Dopamine, if you made that dopamine as a byproduct of metabolism, you're going to pee out something called homovanillate. So I know if you made a lot of dopamine or not based on how much homovanillate you spit out. So if I see a very low homovanillate and then another marker, which is an organic acid screening zone of xanthyrinate, if xanthyrinate is high, then I know that you have low B6 because xanthyrinate is a, a byproduct of metabolism to where, okay, if we got this far in the metabolic pathway, but we don't have enough B6, well, then the, the pathway stops and we're going to have to urinate out xanthyrinate. So if we see a lot of xanthyrinate, then I know you have low levels of B6. And then I can double correlate that with low levels of homovanillate because now I know, A, you didn't have enough B6 to make B the dopamine that you required for focus, motivation, attention span, and drive toward any goal that you have. So organic acid tests essentially lets us know, and you can use these metabolic pathways for many neurotransmitters, hormones, many different um, areas of detoxification. There's many different things going on. And it lets us know if those pathways are functioning optimally and where those hiccups are so that we can seal the leaks in the pathway and turn that single lane highway into a five lane highway. And that's applicable across the board. That's like every metabolic pathway in the body. That's the beauty of that. Thing. Yes. Yeah. You can gain a ton of valuable data and from that. a ton of confusion if you don't know what you're looking at. If you don't know what you're <laughs> looking at, any lab will give you confusion because yeah. you may feel sick. You may have a lot of symptoms. And then to travel back to the blood chemistry, you may have a lot of symptoms. Everything came back normal, Ben. Go home, you know? But then if, if you get a fresh set of eyes on it who is schooled in this stuff, then a lot of things actually start making sense as to why you have the symptoms that you have. And from that point, we either order your next lab to continue your diagnosis or we, we know what's going on. We can work yeah, So the beauty of these labs or the, the reality is it needs to be, to be requested by a practitioner. You can't just order them yourself typically right. for good reason. Although they do give you a relatively comprehensive report now, right? Like the same team, it's like the, the chances are it means this or chances are you should take more of this vitamin. Yeah. But it seems as though like with the blood, there's so many uh, correlated pathways. I can't yeah. just assume because this one says I need B6, that it may be something else that's actually causing me to not absorb or assimilate B6. Exactly. Yeah. So they do the best they can. And they're phenomenally helpful, for sure. But it is. It's what you said. Chances are it's this. So, Chances are it's that. But yeah. then there's still someone else. You never, it's like doing a template workout rather than a workout truly designed for you. You know, it's, it's, you're going to get insight from it, but you're not going to get the ultimate exact result that you need because depending on things of trending high or low, the ratios between things, why was B6 even low? You know, that lab report might just say you need more B6. But then the practitioner would say, well, hold on, why was it even low? Sure, end? you could take it all day, but if your body isn't assimilating. Exactly, it, something is going is happening there. So yeah, those labs will definitely be insightful for you, but you can't, uh, you can't replace a coach. I mean, just like a macronutrient calculator will never replace a nutrition coach, uh, a lab report will never replace a lab interpretation coach. Right. So talk to me about, so let's assume that not everyone can afford these labs, not everyone can afford to service, or you don't have time to work with everybody. Yeah. Talk to me about some basic nutritional principles. I know this kind of sounds like an overgeneralization, but you know, you get into looking at, you know, hey, you need the amino acid L-tyrosine. You get into like looking at just basic overall performance guidelines for nutrition. Sure. So, I mean, the, the, the basis at which you would apply the principles would depend upon context. Uh, I know sometimes it sounds like a bit of a cop-out. You know, some people are like, well, every answer begins with it depends. But, you know, it kind of does, right? Yeah. So the, the list at which your principles would be applied, would, the length would be determined 
upon the severity of your goal. So there, there's going to be different principles that you apply. But I think if I was to paint a broad brush upon all of the listeners, I'm going to say a lot of the things that they're already going to expect me to say. I think you need to have a lot of excellent stress management tactics in your life. And a lot of that simply has to do with preparation and schedule design. Um, I think that you need to have uh, an excellent approach to your diet in respect to nutrition. I mean, a lot of people are arguing carbs versus fats. But so long as you're not in a hypercaloric state and you're getting at least one gram of protein per pound of body weight, <laughs> you're going to be a pretty darn healthy person. You know, whole minimally processed foods, one gram of protein per pound of body weight at a state of maintenance or hypocalorism. There is a lot of health benefits you are going to absolutely get from that um, as stress management, nutrition, movement that you truly enjoy and not just based on how many calories it burns per unit of exercise, because if you absolutely hate the rower, but you love swimming, well, then biology is only going to adapt to the averages over time. So I would want you to do something you enjoy in respect to exercise as well. So between stress management, nutrition, movement, sleep optimization, another big one I can paint a broad brush over everybody. I think those would be some awesome principles that sound basic, but the habitual impact or your your ability to habitually incorporate them into your into your life is not so simple all the time and somebody brought something up there and this carb versus fat conversation brings up this um question that i have that i bring up all the time is um i think fat starts to become my, my belief i love to hear your opinion it starts to become relevant when it looks when you look at sources right so like the ratios of three six and nine you know essential fatty acids saturates Talking about that a little bit. So I've heard some people talk about like the the composition of phospholipid bilayer being determined by the ratio of the fats we consume and how that influences the cellular health, the cellular signaling pathways. I'd like to hear about your opinion or your thoughts on that. For sure, yeah. So the phospholipid bilayer of a cell, you're going to have um, you're going to have triglycerides making this thing up, and those triglycerides can be made up of any three fatty acids. So a triglyceride is just three fatty acids with a glycerol backbone. Glycerol, three fatty acids, we're good to go. But that's what's going to make up your phospholipid bilayer. And there's a lot of research correlating towards things such as if we can have these three be from healthy, say, monounsaturated or omega-3s, if we can have these be making up the phospholipid bilayer of our cells, well, then intake and outtake of certain nutrients and, trans and transporting of, say, glucose and insulin sensitivity is a big one. Um, that's going to be a lot healthier than, say, having three trans fats. So from a structural perspective of the cells of our body, which, which we talked about in this podcast, is literally everything. When you're impacting the cells of the body, you're impacting all of the tissues, organs, organ systems, and organism going upward. And since fat literally makes up that bilayer, it becomes critically important to choose healthy fat sources. And we've seen in the research that monounsaturated fats in pretty much any demographic you give them to, if it's the elderly, if it's even the diseased population, if it's the athletic population, monounsaturated fats such as extra virgin olive oil, provided it's a good source, uh, macadamia nut oil, avocados, these are all excellent sources of fats. But the conversation of fats, of course, can go as deep as you want it to because we do still want some saturated fats in there because they seem to be very important for sex hormone synthesis. And fats also are one of your biggest heavy hitters in respect to inflammation management. 
within the body. So our choosing excellent fats can either be pro or sorry, choose the fats at which you choose to eat can either be pro-inflammatory or anti-inflammatory. Something like a trans fat being highly pro-inflammatory and pretty much everything in nutrition does involve contests. But when it comes to trans fats, I don't think people should be having any trans fats. The uh, as intake is a 3% intake of calories from trans from trans uh, a 3% intake in calories from trans fats results in a 23% greater increased risk of a cardiovascular event. That is a very small amount of something creating an enormous negative impact on our body. So I just don't enjoy trans fats that much to be able to absolutely say destroy my cardiovascular system and heart. And trans fats have even been associated with things such as depression and anxiety. We just, we're learning so many new things all the time about how a calorie is not a calorie. Because if I can take in an omega-3 and improve the insulin sensitivity and transportation of import and outport nutrients from my cells and improve the health of that phospholipid bilayer, or if I can take a trans fat, increase my inflammation, reduce my insulin sensitivity, and possibly cause mental health issues to be even worse than they already are, I think it's a very obvious point to where food choice is just as important as food quantity. And why I said previously a macro coach or a macro calculator will never replace a true coach because a true coach understands it's not just the calories you're taking in, it's the physiology that those calories are going into that's gonna determine the adaptive and stimulus effect that the nutrients are gonna have on your body. And so to, to me, hearing that, it has to then matter. When you say, okay, you get one gram, gram, gram of protein per pound, and the rest is filled with carbs and fats. At some level, there has to be some minimal requirement of fat, and this has to be some uh, adherence to where those fats are coming from. Yes, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, because most people don't acknowledge that, right? Most people yeah. say, you know, I think with carbs, it seems to matter less. Yeah. Um, maybe. With uh, with fats, it seems to matter tremendously. Like, yeah. how are they coming from? One's essential, one's non-essential. Yeah, There's yeah. a lot of arguments you can make towards, provided if health is the goal, you know, if, if health, and, and it should be a part of the goal. But I think fats, in respect to one's caloric intake, it, it, it's going to change depending on the context. But I think a good brush we could paint would be 25 to 30 percent of total incoming calories would be coming in the form of healthy fats. Now I have this strange theory where I feel like I can look at someone and determine their not exact ratio of fats but I can tell when someone takes a high amount of saturated fat compared to somebody who's taking a high amount of monounsaturated fats based on the color of their skin mm -hmm. like the way their body receives um uh like sun right yeah. like, like the, the the blood flow and the, the uh, melanin Right. So like I really feel, feel like someone who has a really bad composition of fat doesn't receive sun very well. They tend to get burned. They tend to just like have these 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 like dense looking um, derma. Yeah. Like, it's like really thick looking skin. It's interesting. And again, that's just my theory. But I'm like putting it together. I'm like, I wonder how the, the composition of the phospholipid bilayer is is influencing how our bodies receive sun, receive vitamin D, obviously, and uh, you know, ultimately receive signal from the environment. It's got, it's got to be causing some impact. 
it's input and output. Yeah. That's the wall, you know? Yeah. So I think that you could correlate that to basically anything. And that's why we see so, we, we see such a range of impact of what fats are associated to in respect to health or non-health, you know? And I think if you do go too low in fats, you know, it's, it's been proposed in certain circles that if you just have zero fat and all carbs, you're going to create more anabolism due to the insulin response. But those people aren't thinking about the entire organism. They're thinking anabolism of actinomycin. That's a wrap. But if you go too low fats for too long, you're massively increasing your probability of gallstones. So you may gain a little bit more muscle in this very short time frame, but you're going to need to pass out some stones. So I've heard recently there's research that shows actually the inclusion of fats with protein actually increases anabolism more than the inclusion of carbohydrates. Have you seen that? Yeah, and we saw we saw that in the late 90s with um, whole milk versus yeah. skim milk. Right. So we this is stuff that we've actually already seen. So it's it's not surprising whatsoever, especially considering that protein can stimulate its own insulin all by itself. Mm -hmm. So it's used to be dramatically... Uh, imposed upon people that you're going to need protein to provide the uh, the nutrients required to repair muscle cells after exercise, but you're going to need carbohydrates to stimulate insulin so that those amino acids would be delivered to those muscle cells yeah. until we figured out that there's this thing called the insulin index that is different from the glycemic index. Mm -hmm. Glycemic index is associated with insulin secretion because it's measuring blood sugar within our body, but there's the insulin index, which is insulin secretion in the absence of a rise in blood sugar sugar. So we th see things like beef creating dramatic increases in insulin. Whey, any fast-acting dairy, there's huge increases in insulin. So those amino acids are going where they need to go, whether you have a 4 to 1 ratio of carbs uh, to protein in your post-workout shake or not. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit about um, this conversation that people are having around separating carbs and fats in a meal any any legitimacy there zero there there's none uh, unless you want blood sugar control i mean right. you know it, the thing with here's the thing with biology and, and why i have a real problem with absolutism is because there's no wrong answers in biology if you provide the context, context yeah. there's no wrong answers because you can create a wild context to where something may be applicable so in respect, though, to what most people are doing it for, most people think they need to separate carbs and fats because if we have carbs, it's going to stimulate insulin. And if we have fats in the same meal, well, then that insulin is going to drive those fats right in the fat cell and we're going to store those fats rather than burn them. But it, I mean, that digestive biochemistry 101 is absolutely not because you're going to have, first of all, the fats are going to dramatically lower that insulin response. But it didn't even matter because it, whether if you're in a hypocaloric state, that chemical response isn't going to matter because you're going to end up dropping weight anyway at the end of the day to due to your energy balance. But if you want to debunk the thing even further, your fats are taken up into the lymphatic system for up to three hours before released into circulation. So that insulin response from the carbs has already gone up and gone down by the time fats enter the bloodstream. So if you want to do digestive biochemistry in respect to ly lymphatic system organization as well as insulin, or if you want to address it via energy balance, or if you want to just provide it a context for blood sugar management, just, you, you, there's different ways you can paint it, you can create the context for it, but why most people avoid it is completely false and nonsense. One thing that I look at a lot is not just, so as a bodybuilder, you face this um, call it a rate limiting factor of not just how much food can I get in, but how much can I actually digest, absorb and assimilate. Mm -hmm. And uh, so one of the things I look at is like, how do I improve that? And so um, I, I spent a lot of time going, okay, what can we do to um, 
you know, improve the breakdown or the, the efficacy, the efficiency of which I extract protein from the, the food I take in. Are you an advocate of enzymes and, and, um, and hydrochloric acid as a, like a support to the digestive system, or do you think it's a, it's a Band-Aid? I think it's a Band-Aid for a root cause problem. Yeah. yeah. So, so think of, this is how, how my brain frames, and I'd love to hear if it makes sense to you. Let's say I've consistently been eating 4,000 calories a day, say I'm eating 250 grams of protein, um, and I have a desire to eat more. Maybe it's a faster to improve my recovery, or just like I have a belief that I need a little bit more to improve growth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my thought went to my body's producing exactly much as much enzyme and, and uh, um, hydrochloric acid as it needs. And then as I increase it, even by 20 or 30 grams, it, it, it's going to be some lag time before it kind of improves its its ability to yeah. digest and assimilate. Would I want to take more HCL and more peptides or, or sort of more uh, enzymes? Or would I just want to give my body some time to adjust and adapt? So basically, I'm asking: Would those enzymes decrease my body's own natural production, or my body's my body's necessity to adapt? That's it. <laughs> it's not going to decrease your own production, but it's going to give your body a non-reason to adapt. Mm. Because why would it adapt if it's getting an exogenous source? It, it, you can look at that. It, the body is the ultimate conservation machine. Yep. It does not want to expend energy if it doesn't have to. So if I'm going to add enzymes, if I want to increase my caloric intake by 250 calories per day, and I'm going to add enzymes in order to do that, that's okay, because I'm not going to get it down. I'm not going to suppress. Your pancreas isn't going to stop working. Like that's, that's wild. Your pancreas is not going to stop working, but you are going to not be creating the stimulus and adaptive process that will be required for your own body's machinery to do the job that you're asking it to do. So then you become reliant upon digestive enzymes and hydrochloric acid secretion. How much do you believe I mean, in uh, supplementation? Yeah, how much do you believe in the avoidance of, you know, non-organic foods, basically pesticides, um, herbicides, things like that? Are you an advocate of that? Or do you think it's not, it's kind of a non-point? I think that it's enough of a non-point to where I don't mandate it. I think that it is an excellent idea if you can afford it. But I think that to force somebody who's working on a budget to have organic foods would be majoring in the minors. I would rather focus on bigger picture items such as their caloric intake, their macros. Oh, you do have some money. Let's do a blood chemistry panel instead of buy one bag of organic apples because your your blood chemistry is going to cost you 20, 40 bucks. So let's do that instead of buy something organic because you're going to get a way better uh, return on your investment from that time spent. So when I just look at things, I'm looking at training volume, intensity, frequency, I'm looking at calories, I'm looking at macros, I'm looking at stress management, sleep optimization, I'm looking at labs. It's like, it's pretty far down the chain um, to where I would not say you have to eat organic. It's great if you can, and let's do it if you can. I, I'm an advocate for it, but in respect to prioritization, I don't put it near the top. Yeah, so my brain just goes to like how much of a cumulative effect over years does the exposure to glyphosate and atrazine have? And, and so like, um, any any insight on that? Like, so if you look at a guy like Dr. J, who wrote the book Estrogeneration, if you know him, he's a brilliant scientist, a wonderful guy. Um, he, he's suggesting like you, you just got to avoid this stuff because it's accumulating your tissues, right? It's accumulating your fat. It's accumulating your nervous system. So mm. that to me is and including and, and to including uh, destroying your microbiome, right? As, a, as an antibiotic. Yeah. So like over time, the, the constant exposure in our, our drinking water, in the air, in our food supply seems like it's going to have some negative de detriment. Have you seen any, any of that in the data or in your experience? Yeah, detoxification is real. That's the thing. Like, detoxification is absolutely real. It's another thing that, you know, 
I think that, you know, if it, to, to go back to kind of the original example of Western versus Eastern, Western people will, will shake it off like it's like it's absolutely silly. But detoxification is real. Like our livers and our kidneys do have to go undergo a lot. And you can either decrease that load or increase that load of stress that they have to go through on a daily basis or stress and accumulation that I should say. So I think that detoxification should, can and should be a part of your life. And it is something that you can do a lab test for. So I think just like you would want to bring your car into the garage to have a look under the hood once per year for a tune-up, nobody bats an eye at that, but absolutely nobody does their labs once per year. And yet we have to live in this vehicle for the rest of our life. So I think detoxification is real, but it's, I don't think that it is as enough of an issue compared to the other things. I would rather have those knocked off first before I entered that conversation. Yeah. So for anyone that can't afford organic food, something to think about is just the idea of like find ways to increase excretion, right? Yeah. More hydration, more sweating, get in the saunas. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Very cool, man. Uh, incredible conversation. It seems like uh, every time I see you, you're up leveling your education, you're getting better and better. It's just that passion shines through, man. So. Dude, absolutely a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, thanks brother. And that's a wrap, ladies and gents. Thank you so much for joining me, Ben Perkolsky and Dan Garner, as we discuss human optimization. I really loved this conversation with Dan. As you see, my enthusiasm shines through. I learned so much. It actually made my head hurt a little bit to hear all the incredible wisdom and brilliance that Dan brought to us today in this conversation. I apologize if the audio wasn't perfect. We did record this in an office and we didn't actually have professional uh, podcasting recording equipment, but the information was so great. I didn't want to not share it. And one final shout out to our amazing show sponsors from today, Bubs Naturals, MCT Powder, and Collagen that are second to none. Guys, if you're not already using MCT and, poly- and Collagen, I suggest most people, not all, add it to their regimen. Collagen is amazing for your hair, your skin, your nails, your uh, joint health, uh, it's something that I usually will take pre-workout to improve my joints and I'll often take it a little bit with dinner or after dinner to improve my sleep. It tends to help uh, regulate blood sugar and when you sleep because of the amino acid glycine really seems to help blood sugar regulation. So if you're someone who's looking to lose body fat, someone looking to, who looks to improve their joints, someone who wants to improve the appearance of their hair, their skin, their nails, and collagen is the way to go. Head over to Bubs Naturals, B-U-B-S-N-A-T-U-R-L-A-L-S dot com use the code muscle get hooked up with 25 percent off so thank you again to dan thank you to you for being here if you're not already subscribed to the muscle intelligence podcast do so right now so you don't miss another podcast head over to apple itunes um, spotify youtube and wherever your great podcasts are listened to and join us there thanks guys have a great day thank you so much for tuning into muscle intelligence If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.